And you've got to make that first step. And I think that's what holds people back. They're scared. They get comfortable with what they're doing. Step out of your comfort zone because that's what it's all about. In a time plagued by groupthink, a tribe known as the Millionites have emerged from the depths of time to alter our trajectory for the betterment of humanity. These are their chronicles. Welcome to our community, where every single week we'll study the craft of some of the most successful entrepreneurial leaders in their given area of expertise. We'll take a trip down memory lane, long before the millions, to uncover their secrets to success and how they've achieved their goals. By doing this, we can fast track our way to success and live the life we've always dreamt of. So, whether you are looking to attain financial freedom, location independence, or reaching the millionth mark of your milestones and more, then you've come to the right place. Stick around to find out what works, what doesn't, and how you can reach your millions. If you would like instant access to our back catalog, visit us at beforethemillions.com. And now, your host, DeRay Olaleye. What's going on, BTM community? Coming through your car speakers, Apple headphones, Beats by Dre, computer speakers, shower speakers? I'm glad to have you back here on episode six of the Before the Millions podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, get comfy. You'll like it here. Guys and gals, this past weekend has been pretty spectacular. I wrote an article on my birthday highlighting the ups and downs leading to this podcast because I felt that if it could inspire just one person, then it was well worth it. Well, I wrote it and it maybe took me an hour and I posted it. Initially, I didn't get any feedback which was okay. I just thought about how I probably just optimized our SEO or gave our site more visibility for search queries. You know, nerdy stuff. Well, this was on Thursday of last week. Tuesday of the following week, this week, I'm enjoying my day and I get a few buzzes. I saw that some people discovered my article and they reached out to me to tell me how inspired they were. That felt good, of course. But a few minutes later, I got a few more buzzes and now I'm like, hmm. How are these people coming across my article four or five days later all of a sudden? Then the floodgates open and my inbox starts filling up with emails. By floodgates, I mean 60 to 80 emails in the span of three hours. I realized that Bigger Pockets decided that my story was inspirational enough to feature it in their newsletter as the success story of the week. Hopefully, we all know what Bigger Pockets is, but just in case we don't, think of them as like the Google of real estate or the ultimate authority when it comes to online information about real estate. It's like Facebook for all things real estate. You can chat with people, you can ask questions, you know, it's it's a it's a big huge community. It's one of the biggest it is the biggest real estate community out there. So anyways, I'm featured on the front page and I'm the first thing you see when you open the newsletter. The feedback kept pouring in. So here are a few of the messages, comments and mentions that I got. One reads one thing we can take away from DeRay's story is his persistence, attitude, and mindset that allowed him to overcome multiple obstacles. Five years from now, you will look back on this day and realize all the lessons learned from this experience. I wish you the best of luck on your future endeavors. Another one reads, happy belated birthday. Your story is so inspirational right now for me and my husband, as I have been experiencing a rocky start as well in the real estate world. Keep doing what you're doing. God has great things in store for you. 
Another one reads, every loser has a sob story. We the winners are different. We've got sob stories, but we never give up. And that's what makes all the difference. Good luck to you. But we know our success is never dependent on luck. It's just hard work. And they go on and on and on. So many thanks, so many praises. I was just so happy that I was able to inspire people. Little do they know, they motivated me. Bigger Pockets also verified my account, so I guess that was pretty cool as well. Something else that happened this past week is my third book is finally ready. It's a super short ebook that highlights the benefits of owning real estate, but more importantly, the way you can start creating what I call a snowball which is really just capital set aside for you to invest. So in the book, I highlight a key way that you can start creating that snowball if you really want to invest in real estate or if you really just want to invest in general. And that's by eliminating or reducing your biggest expenses. One, taxes. Two, living expense, aka rent or mortgage. And this key way I'm speaking of is called house hacking. Many of us have heard of house hacking. House hacking for our purposes is buying a two, three, or four family dwelling. So picture four houses all in one lot under one mortgage. And you as the owner would be living in one of the four houses and renting out the other one, two, or three houses. In essence, eliminating a living expense if you buy it right and being able to participate in tax benefits and incentives that weren't previously available to you, therefore allowing you to build your snowball. It's a super short ebook, so don't expect it to equip you with all the knowledge that you need to get started, but it's a great way to get started with research. How much is it? Well, it's a whopping free 99. (laughs) It's free, guys. DeRay, you've been working on this book for months. Why are you giving it away for free? Well, I learned a long time ago that giving is the only way to be successful, and I mean truly successful. Not only do I want to be successful, but I want the listener out there who doesn't know where to start or what to do to be able to get valuable content that can, quite frankly, change his or her life to be successful. If I were to give out that information for free, I can reach more people through the spirit of giving. So anyways, visit beforethemillions.com slash book. Again, that's beforethemillions.com slash book to find out how to get your free copy. Working backwards, my second book is also ready. It's been ready for a while now. I won't reveal it to you just yet, but I plan on having that one on Amazon for maybe $2.99 and donating 100% of the proceeds to Big Brother Big Sister in efforts to help promote financial literacy in the minds of the younger generation. Today on the show, I have a guy in the lending business that goes by the name of Stephen Big House. Stephen? talks to us about all things lending, from choosing the right lender to understanding how to qualify for a loan as a new investor. Of course, we get into his life as well and find out how he's been able to loan $300 million in real estate transactions. It's a fun-filled episode. This is a little more technical than previous, but it's still early, so we're trying to get a good gauge on the experience level of the average listener. Let us know how you like it. And now to the show. We recommend only the best books on this show. With that being said, We can understand the urge to read the last book you've heard an entrepreneur get excited about. Well, guess what? You can go read it right now. We've partnered with Audible, an Amazon company that produces high-quality audiobooks. Together, we are offering, and for free, a 30-day trial and one free book as soon as you sign up. So, if you've been eyeing a certain book but haven't quite been able to pull the trigger yet, we'd love to cover the cost for you. 
Just visit audibletrial.com slash before the millions to start reading or listening to your next free book. The link is also in the show notes of this episode at beforethemillions.com. Okay, everybody. Today, I'd like to welcome Steve Bickhouse to the show. Hey, Steve, how's it going? Good, DeRay. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Steve has over 25, or what is it now, 30 years of experience in the lending industry and has completed over 300 million in real estate transactions as a lender. So basically, with that being said, his experience shouldn't be questioned. Isn't that right, Steve? (laughs) Yeah, I'd like to think so. (laughs) Okay, well, let's start story time, Steve. Let's hop into the time machine and get to know you a little bit better. Who is Steve Bighouse and how did you first begin your journey? Boy, boy, that goes that goes a long way back. Well, anyway, so I'm probably a little bit older than a lot of folks out there. 62. You know, I didn't. I, you know, once I left high school, you know, my goal wasn't to go into lending. It wasn't. I was I was a musician, and so hit the road for a couple of years, and and I did that. You know, ended up in Los Angeles, and you know, had some you know decent success down there in the club scene. But I really decided that that wasn't what I wanted to do, and so I packed up. I went back home, got a music scholarship. Studied music for a couple of years, was on my way to a four-year college, and then I started thinking to myself again: Is it, you know, I don't want to be a music teacher, and so you know, music's pretty personal for me. So I joined the Air Force. Boy, shocked my dad. <laughs> Came, you know, my, you know, here I was, this guy was playing rock and roll, the long hair. Showed up at my dad's place, had my hair cut, let him know I joined the Air Force, and he just about had a cow. Oh man! <laughs> so I joined the Air Force, spent eight years in the Air Force. I was a cop, and in my first four years, I was stationed in England in the security police field in the Air Force. And then I took a special duty assignment to a special security unit in Air Force headquarters in Germany. And about three weeks before I got there, there was a terrorist group that bombed Air Force headquarters. And that was a German terrorist group. So I went over there. They set up a personal security detail along with the people in OSI, which is the Air Force Office of Special Investigation. So I worked with them for the next four years, and we did personnel security. So they sent me back to D.C., went to you know, protective service school, came back to Germany, chained with the German anti-terrorist group, the GSG-9. We drove Arbor Mercedes, so we had schools there. And that's what I did for the next four years. And it was a great job. You know, got to meet a lot of people. We had a the four-star general who was commander of the chief of the United States Air Force of Europe. So anybody that was the four-star equivalent or above, we picked up security for in Europe. So any senators and congressmen that came overseas, we picked up from them. You know, I met the director of the CIA, Henry Kissinger. Just a lot of a lot of neat people. Got to see some different aspects of the government that a lot of people don't see. But it had a toll on my family. So I had a wife, two kids, and basically never got to see them because I was always working. Yikes. And I just I just got burnt out. So decided to leave the Air Force, came back. I've always been pretty good with numbers because, you know, music is music is really math anyway. So always pretty good. So there was a gentleman in Longview that owned a mortgage company. And I thought, you know, I'll go back and talk to Daryl. And, and he said, go sell real estate for a couple of years. So I sold real estate for three years. He offered me a job in 1988. And that's where it started. So I went from there. I eventually moved over to banking. And I worked my way up through the banking routes. So my last job here in Seattle was at a fairly large community bank here in Seattle. I was the vice president of the bank running the real estate lending department. You know, and life was good, but it was very stressful. I don't know if, you know, if you're what people know about banking, but it's very regulated. A lot of stress, just a lot of stress. So I worked, started working with that while I was in banking, started working with a group of local real estate investors, found I really liked it. I mean, it was just, it was a great niche. It was you know, helping people make money 
And so got into that for a few years, decided to leave my, my position as a VP and started working with the local group. And that was probably about 2003 and never looked back. And so I just continued to expand my business. So I did that up until about 2008. Got a call from a guy in Memphis telling me about all the lending opportunities in Memphis. And that was in November of 2007. So I did some research, hopped on a plane in January of 2008, spent a week back in Memphis, did that for about five months because the lending platform was a little bit different what they were offering and wrote my first loan. I think it was in June or July of that year and history ever since. You know, I made a good base in Memphis. People heard about me in other states. I branched out. So currently today I'm licensed in 21 states. My primary focus is financing real estate investors. That's what I do. And so, you know, I've got myself, I've got, I've got a team of people that work for me. That's our support. So we, you know, we average 500 plus loans a year for real estate investors. So it's been relatively good, you know, over the years, you know, I made it, I made it a point that I, you know, I speak at some of the different events that they have for real estate investors. So people get to know who I am. And because of some of the things that I've done, and I've been so active in it, you go into a lot of different markets in the United States. As soon as you mention my name, people will know who I am. So that's, I've gotten to where I, you know, really where I wanted to in my career. I mean, I'd always like to expand it more. I think this year, one of the one of the things that we're going to want to do is my primary focus has been those investors that are doing that buy and hold. But I also noticed too that, that there are investors out there that, that do the buy and flips. Well, I want to be able to support those investors in that, you know, if they get a customer that wants to buy one of their properties, run them through me, you know, get those people over to me. Because what I can do is I can tell you whether or not they can be able to buy your property versus waiting 30, 45 days, finding out that they couldn't. And so I want to bring that expertise to the people that do the flips so that they've got a lender that they can know that they're trying to cover their backside, too. Okay. How would you suggest that our listeners, especially our first time investors or very new investors, how would you suggest they go about picking a lender? Well, you know, I think when they're looking at a lender, I mean, first, they got to gel with the person you're talking with. And that's the most important thing. They need to talk to a lender that that has some some expertise in doing what they do, you know, in lending. And unfortunately, a lot of times, you know, especially in our community, you've got a a lot of newer people that are in the community and they don't really take that effort to really find out what the guidelines are and how they pertain and how they would relate to people in different lending situations. You know, I tell people, I said, look, if I don't know the answer, I'll get you the answer. I'll find out the answer for you. And, you know, when you do that, you instill that confidence that you know what you're talking about. And that's what you want to be able to do. And of course, anything, I mean, anybody can talk. But the other thing is I've got results that back up what I talk. That's great. That's amazing, Stephen. I think I think that's a good point to touch on that, that you'll always go and find the answer, even if you don't have the answer. And I think that's what separates the good lenders from from the great lenders. So kind of talking a little bit more about you, you're a patriot, you're a celebrity, Steve. Let's kind of go into your team. And I know just from personal interactions with you that you have a, a base team that kind of goes with you everywhere you go depending on, you know, just kind of where you're at in your career. So kind of talk about your team and what your team is comprised of and how it all fits together. Well, basically what I've got right now is I've got both my son and daughter work for me. So my son's been with me for about six years. Oh, wow. And, uh, and he, you know, he was a chef. I mean, he was a great chef. And, uh, but he just got burned out on restaurant work. And he's always, you know, he's always been hardworking. So he came over with me. 
And then my daughter, she started working with me a couple of years ago. So she handles a lot of my, you know, my marketing, my back-end transition as far as helping the processors. And then I've got a couple of processors that work for me that, you know, that, that work with this and that as far as helping the transaction. So we've got a really great team and we've got people that understand real estate investors. And that's, and that's really important because there's a difference when you buy a primary versus you buy an investment property. When you buy a primary residence, it's all about, I want. I love the house, you know, I like everything in it. Whereas a real estate investor is just all about the numbers. And so, you know, if the property doesn't cash flow, then why buy it? Might be the ugliest house on the block, but if it does cash flow, buy the house. You're not buying that property to live in, you're buying that property to make money. That definitely makes sense. Okay. You know, and the other the other thing I want to point out too, and that is when you know, just kind of going back a little bit, you know, a lot of times people out there, I mean, interest rates, everybody's always, always wants to talk about interest rates. Everybody wants to get the lowest rate. But you know what I found out in my experience, the people that typically quote the lowest rates are not the ones that get the deals done. They're not. And so it always concerns me when I hear other people say, Well, this guy over here can sell the lowest rate. Well, what other value? You know, what value is it to you? Can he help you build your portfolio? Where if you're like if your husband and wife team, can he give you the advice on how you and your wife can qualify individually? So instead of getting 10 finance properties, you can get 20. Or when you get up to 20, how do you move on from there? There's value to that. You know, when I talk to people and I say that, you know, you don't have to be the cheapest, you know, the cheapest guy on the block to get that. Because, you know, the companies I've been with, I haven't been the cheapest guy. I haven't. And I, I admit that. But what I've always excelled on is customer service. I answer my emails, I answer my phone calls, I make myself available for my customers after hours on the weekends, and I just, you know, I live and breathe my job. I love what I, I love what I do. I love that, Stephen. And I'm glad that you touched on that because I, from personal experiences, can can attest to the fact that lots of lenders and lots of people in this industry do not pick up the phone, do not return emails, and and so much business is lost because of that. So I know that you literally give out your cell phone number to <laughs> to anybody you come in contact with, and they're they're more than welcome to get in contact with you and ask you a question or two, whatever the case may be, just because of the type right. of person that you are. So uh-huh. kind of speak into your lifestyle because you know we may have listeners out there that aspire to be you know, that aspire to be like you and i know just based off our conversations that you work from home so seeing that you work from home yet you're still part of a greater company how does that work and how did you build up such a lifestyle in which you're able to afford those type of perks well you want i don't know if they're perks i mean you know the company you work for now you work for a company that's going to support you in the endeavor that you want to do. You know, on my side, because I work with investment property, I'm not a good fit for every company. You know, I'm just not. So you got to get, you know, you've got to get with the right company that's going to be able to support you, which is why I moved to Supreme. And, you know, I needed a little bit bigger company. You know, there's some things that I wanted to do that I think that a bigger company offered me, which is why I made the move over to it. And I, I think they're going to be great. No company's ever perfect. That's just the bottom line. You've got to work with what you've got. But, you know, people asked me, you know, I had a guy one time said, you're so lucky to have gotten where you're at. Luck had nothing to do with it. I work hard at what I do. I've traveled to every market I land in. I know the people that I deal with. I know where I land at because that's one of the things I learned in banking was know your customers and know where you land. That's part of your success. And not many people can say that. And I just think that that, that personal touch that I give, you know, meeting people, I think that's what sets me apart. I don't do any marketing. I mean, I'll send out like a, a monthly email blast to my client base, 
you know, every once in a while, there's a, a there's a real estate magazine, Realty 411. They've done some articles. You know, I've run some advertisement in their magazine. But that's to the extent of it. Oh, and then I got a website. We're going to bring my website back up again, which is Team Big House, which was basically I designed it for a resource for real estate investors. Steve, you're pretty tech savvy, aren't you? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it, what's funny is all, all of your your business is conducted online, or or is that a false statement? Oh, that's I'd say 99.9 percent of all my business is done online. Yeah, that that's amazing. I think that that's a plus when it comes to to a lender that you kind of could just submit everything via a portal and you know you you can call your lender and have different conversations and you know that everything's being taken care of because you see you see the progress via this portal i think that's a good segue to to begin the transition towards your milestone and your your successes and step into some of these achievements you you've completed over 300 million in real estate transactions steve i don't think that's by coincidence so kind of walk us through how you were able to do that take a step by step through the process and how you were able to scale well, you know, so typically in that, I mean, you know, I guess if I'm hearing this correctly, you know, I get a borrower that calls me up. Maybe I get an introduction from one of my providers. Maybe a borrower's heard me from someplace else. They call me up. They send me an email. I try and schedule a time with them to discuss where they want to be. Okay. So I want to try and out for where they're at today, where they want to be at three to five years from now. Maybe it's 10 years from now. It's just, you know, every borrower is a little bit different as far as what they want to be able to do. So I, I, I really feel that that initial consultation is really important. And then what I'll do is I'll direct them to my website to have them go back and fill out my online loan application. Say, okay, so let's have you do the application. Let's pull your credit report. Let me collect your documents, you know, your tax returns, W-2s, asset statements. You know, if you own mortgage, if you own any other properties, let's get mortgage statements on there. Let's develop your picture and see what you look like on paper. Once they do that, then I can review everything. And then we can issue them the pre-approval and then I give them some guidance on where they're going to be. The thing about investment property lending is you got to have cash. You know, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You got to have cash to make money. And so I'm going to look at assets. That typically is going to what drive how much they can buy. You know, initially, once they, you know, we've kind of set out a game plan as to what they want to be able to do. Then it's their job. You know, once they they've got the pre-approval letter, is to say, okay, so I'm going to buy a couple properties in Memphis, maybe a couple properties in Indy. Give me the contracts. I can get things going for you. And then we just start it there. Now, my borrowers, once they've started with me, is we save all their information. So in other words, their application saved, the documentation they provided that they saved is, you know, is, is done here. So basically what they do is if they come back two, three months from now and they say, hey, look, you know, we want to buy another house. We, you know, we did great on the, on the last house that we bought. We want to buy another one. Great. Let's go over your application, which you see if anything's changed as far as like employment or anything like that. Let's pull a new credit report. Let's update your information that we have on file so that you can move forward makes it very convenient for the borrower to be able to do that. And the other thing that I tell my clients is this, just think of me as your banker, because I really am. I know everything about you. I know your credit. I know where you live. I know your you know, your income, your assets. It's important to know that. And it's important for me to, to be able to have that so I can advise clients as they want to move forward. So I really am a resource for them. Steve, what's your niche? What type of investors do you typically attract or what, what oh, price point? You know, I mean... I've got people that bought properties as low as 40,000 bucks. I've got guys that have bought it, you know, for $600,000, $700,000. It just depends on where you're going to buy. You know, some states you're able to buy at a lower price point. I would say, you know, you get into those markets like Memphis, for example. You know, you can get in, you can buy decent properties for 50 grand there that are rehabbed. 
And they're probably going to be in a C neighborhood, but it's a price point that some people can afford. Versus, you know, you can go to the, you can go to some other states where you're going to pay three, four times that much. So it just depends on what you're looking for, you know, as far as what you're going to buy. Your pocket really determines what you're going to buy. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Fannie and Freddie, and especially when it comes to investors and kind of uh, what that means and how newbies or, or investors looking or people looking to get into the investing game, how they can take advantage of, of programs like that. Well, there's some, you know, both Fannie and Freddie do offer some great programs for investors. And so I've, I've probably utilized Fannie more a lot more than I have Freddie Mac. Freddie Mac really didn't didn't really start coming around as far as loosening up a little bit under investor guidelines until the first part of last year. And that's, you know, they've always been like, you know, uh, you know, the max number of properties was four. You know, if a borrower had to come in, they had to have two years landlord history experience requirement before you could do, you know, before you could calculate rental income. You know, that would disqualify a lot of entry level borrowers, whereas with Fannie Mae, you know, they'll do up to 10 finance properties. Now, Freddie Mac did increase their finance properties to six. OK, they did away with the two year landlord history experience requirement. Fannie Mae's been at 10 forever. I mean, there was a brief period of time and this was years back where they actually lowered their down, down to down to four, caught everybody off guard. No one saw that one coming, but only lasted for about two, three months. And then they raised it back up again. Oh, wow. But with Fannie Mae is that, you know, they've never had any landlord history experience requirement. So in other words, in that, like you get a borrower that's purchasing a new property, they can utilize the rental income from day one to offset that payment. It can be done by if a property is occupied, we ask for a copy of the lease. We can use 75% of that lease amount. If it's not occupied, I can utilize the figure that the appraiser puts in the appraisal report as far as his opinion of fair market rent and use 75% of that. So the borrowers, they're not actually taking on any additional debt. They actually may, you know, they may get, you know, 50, 100 bucks in positive cash flow, you know, by utilizing those figures. Pretty conservative. Now, Freddie Mac, on the other hand, even though they did away with the two-year landlord history experience requirement, the only way that you can count that rental income is you have to have a lease on the property. You know, if it's not occupied and if it's vacant at the time the appraisal is done, then you know, they're going to hit you with the full payment. So there's a little bit of a difference. But, you know, Freddie's come around and, and not saying that they won't change somewhere later on down the line. OK, so if I'm a brand new investor and I have, let's say, 40000 to spend and I'm looking to get into investment property, what are the ramifications or what what type of properties would, should I be looking to get into? Should it be single family? Should it be a duplex? Should I be looking to get into something that I need to fix and, and, and kind of rehab or should I be looking at a stabilized property? If I'm brand new and, I, and I'm looking to kind of just get my feet wet and get started, what are your suggestions? Well, I, th- I think the first time, especially if you're dealing with something out of state, in other words, like if you live in California, I mean, let's face it, 40,000 bucks, you know, as far as savings, not going to buy you much in California, even, you know, with, with that money as far as your down payment and closing. So then you get into these opportunities for out of state investing in different markets. You know, you've got Indianapolis, you've got Illinois, you've got Memphis, you know, Missouri, you've just got a variety of different places you can go to. What I tell people, especially if they're, you know, they're brand new in the business, utilize an established turnkey investor. You know, somebody that you, when you buy the property, it's totally rehabbed. And, you know, maybe they have a company within, you know, within their company that offers property management. That's the way you want to do it. I have seen horror stories where people think they can save a buck. They go onto some of these websites and they buy these properties sight unseen in these different markets thinking they're getting a great deal. 
find out they're in a lousy neighborhood. They try and manage the rehab of the property, you know, 1,000, 2,000 miles away, and it is a disaster. Yikes. Yikes. I can imagine. <laughs> and there's so many good turnkey providers out there in this, in this, you know, in this nation that can help. And so, you know, and so you can buy, you know, you can buy a $50,000 property or you can buy a, you know, you can buy a fourplex in, in St. Louis for 150. It all depends on what you want to buy. All right. Do you yourself or you and your family invest in, in rental properties? And if so, how? you said yes. I own one property, okay, and that's a it's a property that we bought on the Oregon coast in Astoria. Okay. And my, my son lives in it right now, but we used to rent it out as a vacation rental. Okay. And so it's, it, it was a great rent. But my problem is, okay, so here's my dilemma, okay, and this is a great question everybody asks me all the time, is it, you know, I've become so integrated into this whole turnkey financing thing, okay? It's a small yeah. world. Everybody knows everybody. So if I buy a property in Memphis, the guys in India are going to hear about it. All the inventory providers in Memphis are going to hear about it. And everybody's going to come back to me and say, why did you pick them and not us? <laughs> I, can I can't win. <laughs> I can't win. You know? So I've just, you know, so my thing, I'd love to be able to do it. But all I'm going to do is alienate some of the people that I work with. Maybe some point in town, down the time, if I decide to step back a little bit, you know, then I'll take my money and put it put it somewhere. But right now, I just can't do. I can't afford to do that and and affect my business. And I definitely don't want to show any favors. So because of that, I've really felt that it's really important with myself to stay neutral in that position. Okay, that definitely makes sense. Okay, switching gears a little bit, Steve. Where are you located, by the way? I live in Linwood, Washington. Linwood, Washington. Okay. Kind of walk us through what you do like on a daily basis, just kind of from the time that you wake up to the time you go to sleep. Kind of talk about some of your habits and how, how you think these habits may attribute to your success. Well, okay. So the first thing I do every morning, and that's when I get up, I always have a pad by my desk. Okay. And I write down everything that I need to do, people that I need to call and the things that I need to know right off the top of my head that I do. I look through my emails, make notes there as far as anything that I need to follow up with, and then I just start down my list every day. It's a routine every day for me. I make sure that it all gets done. I make sure that when I leave every day, you know, that when I, I shut my main computer down here, that I've answered all my emails, okay? I've returned all my phone calls, and I have I have two cell phones and an office line. And I make sure that I make sure my office phones are all answered, I make sure my cell phones are answered, and any text messages that I may get. And then, you know, I have time where I, you know, I like to go to the gym and work out. So I'll work out for a couple hours. I'll come back. But as soon as I'm back, I'm on my phone, checking my emails again, seeing if I've got any missed calls. And I'll, I'll return phone calls and emails up to around 9 p.m. Pacific. I tell people from 9 to 5, that's my time. I like that. And I do that. And I try, you know, I, I still play music. And so, I, you know, I set aside some time for my music to play my music during that time. Okay. And then, but I've always got my phone. My phone's always there. I love it. I love it. And you alluded to this fact before we got on on the interview, Steve, but talk a little bit about your running. I believe you said that in a race, you can outrun me. So I, I want to know where, where you're kind of getting your, your preconceived notions about, about running from. Yeah, well, I started, I quit smoking about 2002, 2001, 2002. And I told my wife after I quit smoking, I said, you know, I want to run a marathon. She goes, right. And so 2003, I ran my first marathon here in Seattle. And my wife thought I was not the idea of running 26.2 miles. Oh, she just didn't do it. And I did it. My heart dropped. <laughs> you know, ran a couple more after that. And then I, I injured myself. I, I pulled my calf muscle really bad. And I got to the point with my running where it became like an obsession. 
you know, where I felt like I had to run all the time and I just didn't want to be there with that. So I backed off a little bit. I mean, I still run, but you know, the older I get, the more my knees hurt me. And yeah. my doctor, when I go back to my physical every year, he asked me how many miles I'm putting in every week. <laughs> and I backed down and he says, yeah, he said, your knees bother. And he says, yeah, my left knee does. And he says, you're going to be a great replacement in about another five years for knee replacement surgery. And I really don't want to go through that. So now what I do is, you know, if I run, like when I go, go over to the beach, right across from Astoria, you've got Long Beach. The beach is 27 miles long. Yeah. And you can drive on it. It's great. You know, I just love to put my running shoes on, put my earbuds in and run along the beach. You know, I'm not after to set any records or anything. And I'm, you know, I'll do a five, 10 mile run and I'm, I'm fine with that. The best real estate investing advice ever show is literally the only daily podcast that I subscribe to. And now I'm prescribing for you. The world's longest running daily real estate podcast. That's unprecedented. Visit JoeFearless.com slash show for the back catalog. Enjoy. You are listening to the Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions podcast. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Oh, geez. You know, believe it or not, I don't, you know, I read a lot of theological books, you know, biblical history. And as far as any motivational speakers, I don't think I've ever read any. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I just, you know, I've always been a pretty driven guy. Yep. And that's one thing I give myself. I mean, when I was in the Air Force and that, I was like the number one top cop in Europe. And so, you know, and nobody had to tell me what to do. I just, I saw something, I went after it. So I've never, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that those books, you know, they're not bad because I think they are, because I think sometimes people need to help that direction. But somebody like, I'm pretty focused on what I do. I can tell with your history and kind of going through, you know, from from high school to now, yeah, you're you're a very focused person. So, so yeah, okay. Mo- moving to the next question, who was essential to your growth before the millions, and why? No, I'd be my wife. Okay. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, my wife has just supported me on everything that I've done. You know, she knew it wasn't easy. I mean, you know, let's face it. You know, when I came home and told my wife that I was going to give up my job in banking as a vice president, you think that went over well? <laughs> and then we lived through, you know, the mortgage meltdown. Okay. That wasn't an easy job. It was kind of like, you know, I heard the thing. She, you know, never once did you ever say, you should have kept your job in banking. She just stood behind me because she knew that I knew how to get out of it. I made my way through it. And then I got to where I was at today. That's amazing. I love that. She's a writer. Okay. Why do you think? So many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions. Yeah, I think it's that thing of being able to take that first step. Yeah. You know, it's always tough to make that first step. I mean, if you don't think I was nervous when I left banking, you know, I mean, I had a W-2 job, you know, going to a commission. It was just, that was a tough decision to make. It didn't happen overnight, but you got to take the first step. I see people that, you know, real estate investors, for example, they get the knowledge, they got the money, they got the credit, and they never take the first step because it's scary. It is. It's scary. But, you know, you know, you don't get something without not doing something else. And you've got to make that first step. And I think that's what holds people back. They're scared. They get comfortable with what they're doing. Step out of your comfort zone because that's what it's all about. Yeah, we like to call that analysis paralysis. 
Go take action. <laughs> I got to remember that one. Yep. Okay. Intimation. Steve, this has been great. Hopefully our, I know I have, but hopefully our listeners have gained tons of insight on your life and how you went from just, you know, working your, your banking job and working that corporate job to kind of being on your own and, and taking on this great feat of, of now over 300 million in real estate transactions. I think, I think that's incredible. Steve, thanks for sharing your story. You're before the million story and guiding us through the lending process and being an inspiration to others. If some of our listeners or some investors want to get in contact with you, how would they go about doing that? Well, probably the best way to reach me is on my cell phone, which is area code 206-930-1801, or they can send an email. So it's Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot Big House, B-I-G-H-A-U-S at SupremeLending.com. Okay, there you have it. And the website will be up here shortly, right? TeamBigHouse.com. Yeah, we're running it through compliance right now. You know, I'm going to get back to where, you know, like I say, I designed the website for resources to investors to look at subjects and affect investors. You know, there's some great videos up there that can help people out. And we'll continue to expand upon what we're doing for the investors. I, I tell people, and when they ask me race, I say, I don't even talk racing fees. It's not important. That's amazing. Well, it is, but it's not okay. But, you know. <laughs> yep, I get it. I get it, Steve. Well, Steve, thank you for being on the show. And I hope that we get to chat again soon. Thank you very much, Doreen. Take care. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Steve was great. We appreciate having him on. Nice to get a professional on the show every now and then, especially one that can shed light on the industry, such as lending. This past week has been great. Again, <laughs> we got a bunch of five-star reviews, and I wish I could read them off to you, but there's so many, so I'm just going to read off some of the names. A special shout-out to Derek, Ada, Harvard Girl, Giovanni, Maurice, David, Toby, Tanya, Sunny Burns, which was our guest on episode one, Queen B, my sister, Doctor's Message, a Dr. T.O. We have doctors tuning in. And last but not least, JR12456. Thank you guys so much for your five-star reviews. And because of you, iTunes recognizes that we're doing big things. So they rank us higher, which gets us more exposure, which allows us to reach more people and make more of an impact. That's what it's all about. So if you like what we're doing and want to support the show, please head over to iTunes right now. You can even do it from your phone. Search Before the Millions and... The second group of content should be labeled podcasts. You'll see it there. Once you click on it, head over to the review tab and you're there. Again, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Sugar, it's a